listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the book of Acts, how Christians live. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com. Well, who's ready to dig into God's Word together today? Who's ready to dive into God's Word? Are you ready? You ready to do that? Because I'm ready to do that. I want to ask you a couple of questions here. They're important for your own life. Is there a formula for receiving the Holy Spirit? Is there a formula for receiving the Holy Spirit? Number two, can you expect God to do through you what we see him doing in the book of Acts through the Apostle Paul? And third, what does it cost to follow Jesus? What does it cost to follow Jesus? These are questions that you need to wrestle with in your own life, and we're going to look at the answers to these questions today as we dive into God's Word, Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Acts chapter 19, verse 1, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. Here again, we're seeing the historical backdrop of the book of 1st and 2nd Corinthians and then the book of Ephesians that Paul ended up writing. We're reading about how these churches came into existence, the birthdays of these churches. So Apollos was at Corinth. Paul makes his way to Ephesus, and there he, Paul, found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism, John the Baptist. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue. Remember, this is the practice of the Apostle Paul. He entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Now, let me pause here just for a moment. There are multiple aspects about the kingdom of God, the basileos, that's the word that's used here, the Greek word that's used. The word kingdom is used in multiple ways in the Bible. Number one, as God's comprehensive agenda, his heaven on earth agenda. So we can paint with a broad brush when we refer to the kingdom. And then there are different components to the kingdom. There is the millennial kingdom, the 1,000 year reign and rule of Jesus on the earth that's spoken of in the book of Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. This is what you can write down. You can look there for yourself. Why is that important? Because it's significant with the Davidic covenant where God promised that he would raise up one of David's offspring, one individual from David's line. That's why the genealogy in Matthew and the genealogy in Luke is so important, tracing the ancestry of Jesus. And woven into that ancestry, you'll see King David. Why is that important? Because from David would come the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus. And so the literal rule and reign of Jesus on earth is important as a fulfillment 
of the Davidic covenant that we find in the book of 1 Samuel. Very, very important, okay? If there was no literal rule and reign of Jesus on the earth, then we would have a promise that God was making without the fulfillment of that promise. And then there's also this idea of the kingdom with a new heaven and a new earth at the end of the book of Revelation, where there is the kingdom of God with subjects, people who are underneath that king, who are serving that king, and ruling and reigning under his authority with his leadership forever and ever and ever and ever. And you don't even need to say forever multiple times because forever is forever. But this idea of kingdom is one that's presented in the scriptures, and we need to be really careful that we don't get hung up on misunderstanding what that word means. And we need to understand that when you're presenting the gospel to somebody, you are advancing the kingdom of God. You're proclaiming the kingdom of God. And who's the king? Jesus. Who are the subjects? Those who accept Jesus as their king. That's what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to acknowledge that Jesus is your king. King of your heart, king of your mind, king of your finances, king of your family, king of your business, king of your morality, your personal purity, king over what you look at with your eyes, what you allow yourself to hear, what you cause other people to hear by what you say with your mouth, what you do with your hands, where your feet go. And so it's very important for us to understand, again, another component of what's presented here, kind of being like a fly on the wall, what was it that Paul was teaching about? Well, he was teaching there and then in the first century about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And so it's appropriate for us today as believers to refer to the kingdom of God when we're preaching and teaching and talking about the gospel. Why? Because it's right here in Acts. It says it very clearly that Paul was reasoning in verse 8 and persuading them right then and there about the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus does something very similar. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and keep repenting. Believe and keep believing the gospel. That's Jesus' first words, the beginning of his first sermon as recorded in the gospel of Mark chapter 1 verse 15. So this idea of when we understand the gospel, when we understand who Jesus is as the king and we understand that we're his subjects, it's entirely appropriate to refer to what we're preaching and teaching as explaining the kingdom of God to people who don't yet understand it, and even to those of us who do understand it to a certain degree, understanding it more and more. And this is something that Apollos had to come into. In the last chapter, we looked at this because Apollos had to be explained the way of God more accurately by Aquila and Priscilla. And here we see 12 individuals who didn't yet understand about water baptism in the name of Jesus. And we'll get back to the importance of that in just a moment. In fact, we're going to cap off today's time with a nice big fat cherry on top where we look at the formula for receiving the Holy Spirit. Because did you know that there is a formula for receiving the Holy Spirit? You want to know what it is? Keep listening.
Verse 9. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, see, this is a movement of God. They didn't even have one definitive name for what was happening at this point. So they're referring to it as the way, most likely because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So again, we get an understanding of what was contained in this kingdom message, this gospel message. What was Paul presenting? What were the apostles presenting? What was Jesus continuing to do after he ascended through the lives of the apostles and the disciples. They were preaching and teaching about the way of Almighty God wrapped up in the person and the works of Jesus. All right? So people spoke evil of the way in verse 9 before the congregation. He withdrew from them, Paul withdrew from them, and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Not Tyrannosaurus Rex. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Why is that important? Because Luke is helping us understand that what was said in Acts chapter 1 is actually unfolding. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the ends of the earth. We saw in Acts chapter 10, and then since then, that the gospel was given to the non-Jewish people as well that there is one Savior, Jesus, for Jew and Gentile alike, whether you're black, white, yellow, red, no matter whether you're old or young, male or female, Jesus Christ is for you. He's for everybody. God did not send multiple saviors for each of the different races or each of the two sexes that he created, male or female, by the way. There are only two. God gets to determine them. And of course, there are rare instances where chromosomally or physiologically, we have to make a human decision. But that's such a rare instance, such a rare instance. We don't want to confuse the rest of the human race with an extreme rare situation and then start behaving as if we're the ones who get to determine our own gender. Do you understand what I'm saying? Male and female, he made them. In the image of God, he made them. And so what God determines, we don't have a right to alter. Now, I could call myself a donkey all day long. Other people do, right? But that doesn't make me a donkey literally, chromosomally, physiologically in the sight of Almighty God. God makes us, God fashions us, and he loves the way he made you. The problem is not with God making a mistake, because he doesn't make mistakes. The problem is that we could make a mistake thinking that God has made a mistake. And that's why the word of God is so important to have a steady diet of God's word where our thinking is transformed, our thinking is renewed, and everything about us is transformed as a result. Super, super, uber important. And I didn't call for a ride, by the way, in saying uber. I mean uber as it was originally meant to be used. But what we're seeing here is the gospel going throughout all of the known world, starting with the Jews and going and reaching to the Gentiles as well. So what God promises in the first chapter of the book of Acts, we're seeing it delivered and God keeping his promise 
in every subsequent chapter. That's why verse 10 is so important. It's helping us understand that this is that. This is what was promised. See, God said he was going to do this, and God is actually doing what he said. Remember that when you think about things that God has promised you, not the things that you think God has promised you that are subjective. You've got to be careful about that. Don't get ahead of God putting words in his mouth because then you end up being a donkey, right? I'm talking about the things that God has promised you based on his word, the black and white teachings of scripture. If God has made a promise to you, and we're going to see one of the promises is wrapped up in how you receive the Holy Spirit. You don't have to wonder whether or not you've received the Holy Spirit. You can know that you know that you know that you know that you know, and other believers can know that you know, and they can know as well, whether or not you've received the Holy Spirit. So when God makes a promise to you, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, and all of the other promises that we find in the Bible that are still relevant and pertinent to us today, you can bank on that. You can bank on Jesus. You can bet on Jesus if you were a betting person, and I know you're not, right? Unless you're into fantasy football, that's kind of an exception. Is that right? You can bank on Jesus. He delivers what he promises. He keeps his word. And he really does care about you. He really does love you. He really is concerned about you. If you haven't noticed, the whole Bible is a love story. It's a love story of Almighty God, captivated with you. We can talk about it at a 50,000-foot level if you want to, but that doesn't float my boat. It doesn't tend to excite us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only uniquely brought forth one-of-a-kind son, Jesus. That's a beautiful scripture, John 3, 16. It's important to commit to memory. Even if you don't want to commit it to memory, you automatically will begin to commit it to memory if you're hanging around Christians for any length of time. But what we need to do is take that 50,000-foot level and land that plane and understand that you're part of the world. If you were the only person on the face of the earth, Jesus would have died for you. Not only because you have a sin problem, and you're far away from him, totally separate from him with a dividing wall of hostility between you and God, but also because he loves you. Jesus wouldn't die for junk. God wouldn't have pursued garbage. You really are important to God, probably more important than you tend to give God credit for. See, it's not just what you believe that matters, it's what God knows to be the truth that matters. And the truth is that he has declared that you are important to him, The gospel is the greatest news possible because it's God's love story for you. God does care what's happening in your family. He cares about what's happening in your private life, your personal life. He cares about what's happening in your business. He cares about what's happening and what's playing in the theater of your mind. He cares about the things that you're treasuring in your heart. And he sent Jesus to prove it. And he gave us the word of God to help us understand that he's given us promises based on his character, not yours. Aren't you thankful that God has given us promises that are not conditioned upon whether or not we do this or don't do that? They're conditioned upon the nature and character of Almighty God. And that's all there is to it. It's all wrapped up in the nature and the character of Almighty God. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you, the Lord says. That's why a steady diet of God's word is one of the best things that you can do for yourself to replace that stinking thinking that so easily creeps up in each and every one of us. Can I get a yes, Pastor Mike? You're right about that. 
Sometimes it's hard to turn off this mind. Late at night, early in the morning, throughout the course of the day, sometimes it's hard to turn this off. But I found the best way to turn off thoughts that are opposed to the truths presented in God's Word is to know what God's Word says. One of the greatest things that you can do in your own life to help you live a successful life where you do things you should do and stop doing the things you shouldn't do, where you think things you should think and stop doing the things you shouldn't think, is to familiarize yourself with the Word of God. Because then you'll know the truth, as Jesus said, and the truth will set you free. The alternative of truth is to be put into bondage. And some of us are into bondage for no other reason than we just don't know what the truth is. God has given you the key to unlock yourself, unshackle yourself from your own imprisonment. All you need to do is go to the lockbox, open up the word of God and see what it says about you. It's a love story that God has given to you. The most precious of all your possessions, materially speaking, which is also spiritually significant, is the Bible or Bibles that you have. It was never created to be an ornament on a shelf someplace. It was created to be read, distributed, to be taught and applied so that you become like Jesus Christ in character and you invite your friends not just to church, but you invite your friends to Jesus. You introduce them to Jesus. You know people who are in bondage. You know people who are distant from God. You know people who are at odds with God. You know people who think that they are unworthy, and they're right. They're not worthy of what Jesus did. You're not worthy. I'm not worthy of what Jesus did either. However, they are worth a great deal, just like you. How much are they worth to Almighty God? The price of his precious son. You might not ever get somebody to go into the building that we tend to call a church, but you very well can bring Jesus into the workplace. You can bring Jesus into a family gathering, and you can introduce people to Jesus wherever you go. And this is what we see Paul doing and the disciples doing, sharing the good news of Jesus wherever they go and being intentional. Are you living an intentional life? Are you living with the intentional purpose of making sure that Jesus is the king of your heart, the king of your mind, the king of your life, and doing all that you can while you still have time? You know, there's one day's coming. It's going to be your last day. None of us knows when it is. And after that, it'll be too late. You won't have the opportunity to introduce people to the, the king anymore. You're doing all that you can while you still have time, while you still have breath, to introduce people to the greatest person, the greatest celebrity, the lover of their soul, Jesus, I highly encourage that you do everything that you can while you still can under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to let anybody and everybody that you know know about Jesus. You know something about Jesus, about his life-changing work that somebody else needs to hear. They just need to have you open up your mouth and demonstrate with your lifestyle that Jesus is alive, that he's not buried in some tomb someplace. He's actually living inside of you. He's ruling and reigning. And they can see the gospel through how you're living, and they can hear the gospel through what you're proclaiming. Get out there, get busy. Invite your people to Jesus. Let people know that you have been set free, and they can be set free too. 
It's still true. It was true in the first century. It's true in the 21st century. God uses ordinary people to proclaim the extraordinary nature of his great son, Jesus. Speaking of extraordinary, let's look at verse 11. God was doing extraordinary, one-of-a-kind miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant or traveling Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Another way of helping us understand that Jesus and God are synonymous, because it wouldn't be far enough to just extol the name of a mere mortal, and we have to understand that he's not just a mere mortal, he is God in the flesh. If you're looking for something to meditate on during this special time of Advent, the Gospel of John is great. That first chapter, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14 of John chapter 1, and the Word became flesh and lived among us for a while. Read it for yourself. Remember to build your faith, lift your Bible. Want your faith to be built up? Lift your Bible, open it up, read it, meditate on it, chew on it, and you'll be transformed. So this interaction of these people trying to use the name of Jesus as some type of magical incantation, look what it says in verse 17 of Acts chapter 19. This became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices, meaning confessing if they were known, but admitting that it was wrong. And then also if it was unknown, if it was secret, because it involves the magic arts or magical spells, magic alleged deeds, they were confessing them and revealing them. That's what it means, divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts, spells, magic deeds, brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000, 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Verse 20, another way of looking at Acts chapter 1, the Great Commission recast in the book of Acts as being fulfilled. The word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Now, I want us to understand we're going to begin with the end and then we're going to talk about the beginning here, about the formula for receiving the Holy Spirit. I hope I have your curiosity about that because it's certainly making me curious about it. But first, we're going to begin with this. You need to understand what the people here in the first century understood, that following Jesus is priceless and costly. Following Jesus is priceless, meaning precious, and costly. Real faith creates a fire. They burnt their stuff that was affiliated with magic arts, deception, 
dark, secret deeds. And the value was 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, Friday, silver closed at $15.82 an ounce. So if we had 50,000 one-ounce coins, the value would be over three-quarters of a million dollars. But here in this particular day, a denarius was the equivalent of one day's wages for a worker. They would get a silver coin, less than an ounce, but a silver coin. 50,000 denarii would be the equivalent. Are you ready for this? It would be the equivalent of one worker's wages for 137 years without a day off. Wow. So imagine what you make for the course of a day today. And imagine multiplying that so that it comes out to 137 years. That's the price of what they burned because their faith was real. They had real faith in Jesus and it created a fire to consume the dark, underhanded, deceptive things that were part of their lives. They turned their back on these things. See, there are some things that you might own, some things you might have been part of, you don't want to give them to other people because it's going to lead them astray. And that's why it was appropriate for them to burn these things to demolish them, to make sure that nobody fell into the dark deeds that they were practicing. And some of you can identify with this. I've had conversations with some of you about things in your former way of life before you came to know Christ, then you came to know Christ, and you had to throw some stuff out in the garbage can, in the garbage can, because you didn't want them to fall into the hands of other people because that would have led them astray. What we need to understand here, the takeaway is that following Jesus is priceless. It's precious. It's the most significant relationship that you have. Think about it. You are at odds with God, separated from him, totally separated from him. An enemy, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter two is one of multiple examples. And God removed that dividing wall of hostility, saved you from all of your sins. And not only that, he didn't stop there. He took you and spiritually speaking, he seated you with Christ in the heavenly realms in a position of authority above every single one of his enemies and every single one of your enemies. And so following Jesus is the most precious, priceless relationship gift that you have. And it's also costly. You can't follow Jesus without turning your back on the things of the world. You can't follow Jesus without turning your back on the things of the flesh. The things that you used to crave, if you're really following Jesus, there should be progress in your life. You no longer want to do the things you used to do. You no longer say the things you used to say. You no longer act the ways that you used to act. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, those things together referred to as the fruit of the Holy Spirit. None of us has a corner on the Holy Spirit fruit, the market, right? None of us has a corner on that. But generally speaking, the overall trajectory of your life, the evidence of your life that you're saved is that there is more and more fruit of the Holy Spirit being born in your life. And that your wife can say this, your husband can say this, your children can say this, your parents can say this, your coworkers can say this, people in the church can say this, people in the neighborhood can say this, that they know that you're a Christian because they are seeing the fruit that is produced when somebody 
has the Holy Spirit that produces the fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the things that God's shooting for in your life. And so you can't, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're really following Jesus, really following Jesus, you cannot continue to do the things you used to do. You can't. You can't continue to say the things the way you used to say them, to think the thoughts that you used to think. That's why the Bible says we take captive every thought. Not we take captive a few thoughts here and there. We take captive every thought and do what? And make it obedient to honoring Jesus Christ. And so if your faith isn't costing you the loss of worldliness, the loss of a carnal attitude, the loss of the things that you would practice when you were the king of your heart, when you were the king of your life. Then it could be evidence that you haven't made Jesus your king in the first place, or it could be evidence that I know I've been guilty of this. The tendency of a living sacrifice is to crawl off the altar and stop worshiping God. But the cure is to get back on the altar and to take captive those thoughts, take captive the behaviors, the words, the deeds, the the wasted time. Time is a commodity you'll never get back. It's worth far more than $15.82 an ounce for silver. Man, that's nothing compared to an hour of your life. You're worth more than what your boss pays you because you'll never get the hours of your life back. And so following Jesus is costly. You should be, you must be making decisions in your life that demonstrate that you're increasingly surrendering more and more of yourself to Jesus. As he reveals more and more of himself to you, you say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. It's all yours. I'm all of yours. I'm all in. Okay? So let's not forget that following Jesus, so easy to forget that today in today's world, following Jesus is priceless and it's costly. You can't follow Jesus without there being sacrifices made in your own life where you're saying no to the things that dishonor God and yes to the things that honor him. So be courageous enough, be humble enough, be filled with the Holy Spirit enough to say yes to God and trust him with the consequences. Trust him with the consequences. We've all gotten ourselves into trouble because we trusted ourselves and we distrusted God. But God, maybe he won't. But what if God doesn't? No. God always delivers what he promises. He says what he means and means what he says, and you can trust him. Leave the consequences of obedience to Jesus at the feet of Jesus. As for you and your house, serve the Lord. Get busy worshiping him and serving him and sacrificing all that you have and all that you are to him. I'll say it again. You hear me say it all the time, but it's so true. Nobody who's ever surrendered to God will ever live to regret it. Nobody who surrenders to God will ever live to regret it. And by the way, that's not for the person sitting next to you. That's not something that somebody else needs to hear. They just happen to overhear it while God was speaking to you about that. If you surrender to God, you'll never live to regret it. Trust Jesus and leave the consequences to him. Now, I promise we talk about a few other things here. Is it possible 
to expect God to do through you the things that we see God doing here through the Apostle Paul. Look with me at verse 11. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. So does this mean you can go home and get a pocket square? Lay it on yourself. Go over down to York Hospital and lay that pocket square on all the people in the hospital. Well, if you believe that God can do that, I'd love to be there when you do that. I would love to be proven wrong, but the scriptures can't be proven wrong. This is the whole point. Remember, years ago, there was a televangelist who I will not name, although it's very tempting for me to name him. My friend John had a life-size prayer mat that was about three feet long and about two, two and a half feet wide. And this is the extent that this television evangelist went through for this. I mean, the cost that would have been involved to do this is amazing. It was a photographic image of the televangelist on his hands and his knees taken from below. He was laying on a piece of glass like this. The picture was taken from below, formulated into a prayer mat made out of paper. And then you would lay this prayer mat out on the ground, lay on top of this, assuming the same position as the evangelist, and you would join your faith together, the idea was, and believe God for a miracle. What? And my friend John had one, and we had a good laugh over it, and then we cried a little bit because there are some people who will believe anything. This same guy had miracle anointing oil that when you donated to his ministry, he would send you some miracle anointing oil. He had prayer cloths, and they used this very passage of Scripture that they would send you when you donated to his ministry. And the idea was that if you took that prayer cloth and put it on yourself, if you were sick, put it on your mother, put it on your father, put it on a sick loved one, they too, you could believe God for their restoration and healing. That's a perfect example of what not to do. That's a perfect example. You've heard me say that the Bible is a book of examples, not a book of exceptions, but here is an example of an exception. I wouldn't even try to say that again the way I just said that. Here's an example of an exception. Why? Because it says it was an exception. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Who's the central human figure in the book of Acts at this point? Human figure. We know the central figure is Jesus. Because Luke says, in my former book, I wrote to you about all the things that Jesus began doing. The implication is that now I'm going to write to you about all the things that Jesus is continuing to do. So Jesus is the central figure in the book of Acts. But humanly speaking, the central figure now is the Apostle Paul and how God is affirming and confirming the gospel, the reality of Jesus, the validity of Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life through the teaching and the preaching and the miraculous signs and wonders through Paul. So you would be totally out of your mind, and I say that lovingly, to think that you are on equal footing in God's prophetic plan with the Apostle Paul. It says it for all of us to look at. God was doing extraordinary miracles through the Apostle Paul. So can God use anybody? Does God use everybody who wants to be used? Of course, but please don't put words in God's mouth and insist that God needs to do through you what he is doing through other people. 
Be the best version of you. You're the only you the world will ever see. God has given you gifts, talents, abilities, a countenance. Stop trying to look like somebody else. Stop trying to sound like somebody else. Stop trying to do in your life spiritually what you're seeing other people do spiritually. Instead, ask God, God, I'm surrendered to you. I'm going to leave the consequences to you. You can do with my life whatever you want to do. And I guarantee if you do that, you will see God do amazing things through your life that will lead people to the feet of Jesus in ways that you couldn't even contemplate. You don't need to be an apostle Paul. You just need to be faithful to Jesus Christ and God will use you. God will use you every single time. Now, we're going to wrap it up here with the cherry on top. We'll get to this whole idea of the riot in Ephesus. If you live for Jesus, you will cause a riot or two in the course of your life. There will be turmoil that will result from you being faithful to Jesus. We'll get to that whole riot next time together. But right now, I want to talk about the, the role of the Holy Spirit. Is there a formula for receiving the Holy Spirit? Because, see, this is really practical for us, even nearby there are churches that believe there is a formula to receiving the Holy Spirit. And you need to speak in tongues as the evidence of whether or not you receive the Holy Spirit. And some churches will even go so far as to say, fire, speak in tongues. Fire, speak in tongues. Tap somebody on the back of the head. Let me help you a little bit. Let me coax that out of you. Here's the formula. If you hear me say fire and have me smack you upside the head, If I do that to you enough times, you might say a few things out of your mouth that would sound like a foreign language as well. But I guarantee it's not because of the filling with the Holy Spirit. There's no instance anywhere in the whole book of Acts. Here we are in Acts chapter 19. There's not one instance of tongues ever being a prayer language in the book of Acts. Now, if you want to go there, there's another passage of Scripture that some would use as being evidence for a prayer language. But you can't use it for the book of Acts because the word tongue simply means languages. And here, what is presented, I I triple dog dare you. I skipped all of the steps before that. I triple dog dare you. Find one instance in the book of Acts where tongues is presented as a prayer language. You can't do it. It's not there. Well, then why do people point to the book of Acts? Pastor Mike, and say, here it is in the book of Acts. You accepted Christ, but you might not have accepted the Holy Spirit. You need to receive the Holy Spirit. See, here it is in Acts chapter 19. I thought you said that the book of Acts was a book of examples, not a book of exceptions, unless the example is an exception, people. And that's exactly what it is here. See, the point of the book of Acts, you have to take the whole scripture into context. See, there are a lot of Good people, quote unquote, who can disagree on this. But good people can have terrible principles of biblical interpretation. There are people who have terrible principles of biblical interpretation. And you know by now, we're in Acts chapter 19, and we've looked at the other instances of people being filled with the Holy Spirit and receiving the Holy Spirit. In every single instance, what's being presented is an issue of continuity and unity. Continuity and unity. Are these people part of us? Are we part of them? Are they accepting the same Jesus? Is the same spirit that filled the apostles and the disciples on the day of Pentecost, the same one that filled Cornelius, that filled the Gentile believers? 
They needed to know that this is that, that there are not two veins of churches. There are not Jewish believers. There are not Gentile believers who have separate spirits. They're all part of the body of Christ. So if somebody says to you, there's a formula to receiving the Holy Spirit that you can receive Jesus and not yet have the Holy Spirit, they are a member, I say this respectfully, they are a member of the, can we all say it together? Are we ready to say it together at this point? The Nighttime Bible Reading Society. Let's say that all nice and loudly together. The It's as if they're reading the Bible at night, lights off, sunglasses on, and one eye closed. When you read the Bible that way, you will miss huge passages of Scripture, you will misinterpret it, and you will end up like Paul Weirville in 1942, the founder of The Way International, a cult. You know, he actually wrote a book, The Leader of The Way, where they got their name right here from Acts chapter 19, but they're not the way. They're the wrong way. He actually wrote a book entitled, it's out of print, Jesus is not God. (laughs) Well, you lost me right there, my friend. That's not biblical, historic Christianity. You see, it's important that you understand that I understand that a steady diet of God's word leads to a right conclusion about Jesus. And if you have a wrong conclusion about Jesus, then you might be worshiping and serving a God you don't know. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. So I'm going to prove it to you from God's word. You don't need to take my word for it, but you do need to take God's word for it. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In him, Christ, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Paul is writing to the Ephesian believers and helping them to understand in total, you're part of the body of Christ. Every single one of you has the Holy Spirit. See, what was happening then was the establishment of the church. You need to understand, well, can't God repeat that today? Well, yes. If he's going to start a brand new movement, through you, as we're seeing it take place here in the book of Acts to the point where they don't even know what to call. They're calling it the way based on Jesus. Then maybe God would do that. But if God's going to start something through you that's not in the Bible, I'm pretty sure it's not the God of the Bible who's doing that through you. You understand what I'm saying? If we were repeating the circumstances that we see in the book of Acts, then maybe But these circumstances are not repeatable. This is the establishment of the church. And what we have been seeing, if you've been following us this whole time, if you've been paying attention this whole time and going through the book of Acts this entire time, is the reality of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. It's the whole point of the book of Acts, everybody. Jew and Gentile together, male and female together, everybody's forgiven by the Messiah, Jesus. Ephesians chapter three, verse six. These are verses that you should write down, commit to memory, and help you understand the way that the Holy Spirit is given and why it was important to understand if they hadn't received the baptism of Jesus, they, the water baptism of Jesus, there was the potential of people belittling water baptism. Imagine that. We don't do that today, do we? There's a chance of them belittling the importance of identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. 
we can't approach Christianity a la carte, well, I have some of this and some of that, but not some of that. You accept Jesus, you identify with him, you get baptized in water. That's what we see again and again in the book of Acts. And Paul wanted to preach the full counsel of God's truth about the kingdom of God. The full counsel. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And this is what's being presented in the book of Acts. Doesn't matter whether you're a Jew, doesn't matter whether you're a Gentile, doesn't matter whether you're a man, doesn't matter whether you're a woman, anybody and everybody who receives Jesus receives the Holy Spirit. There's your formula for how you receive the Holy Spirit. Accept Jesus as the king of your heart, God in the flesh, the one who takes away every single one of your sins, and you too will receive the Holy Spirit. There's your formula. And anybody who tries to add something else to that is a member of the Nighttime Bible Reading Society. They might be a nice person, they might be a sincere person, but they're sincerely wrong. Now, every single time we preach, every single time you hear me opening up the Word of God, you hear me talking about surrender, talking about submitting to Jesus, the working of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is conditioned upon your surrender to Jesus. You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? You want to be used mightily by Almighty God? Surrender to Jesus, and God will work powerfully through you. But as for the receipt of the Holy Spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit, it's conditioned upon one thing and one thing alone, whether or not you have accepted Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, the Lord, the master of your life. That's the formula, and anybody and everybody, whether you're good-looking or not so attractive, male or female, rich or poor, young or old, black, white, yellow, somewhere in between, Jesus is for you. And the very moment that you give your life to Jesus Christ as your Savior, you too, by faith, receive the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, put it into context. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6 helps you understand. The whole context of the book of Acts is to help us understand that there's one Savior, one God, one Lord of all, and his name is Jesus. Let's honor him and give him glory. been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. You can also invite Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.